Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. May the force be with you. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hi, my name is Carmen, and welcome to the second episode of Real Talk, where we will be comparing cinema's classic and contemporary films. Today, I'm joined with... Mr. Griffin! Woo! <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Uh, I brought my own crowd. Really? That's okay. Can you hear them it's, clapping? No, I cannot. Oh. It's just in your own head. Oh. <laughs> so, Mr. Griffin, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Today? I work here at MAK. I'm one of the teachers fortunate enough to be able to do media stuff hmm. with our excellent students. And yes. so, Carmen, you've been one of my excellent students for many years. And so, when you came to me and said, I want to do a podcast, I thought, Sure, yeah, why not? We could do that. And so here we are. We're, we're doing a podcast about movies, something that we both really enjoy. Yes. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Woo-hoo. Thanks yeah. for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm really excited about this episode because we will be talking about two movies. It is going to be... La La Land and... No. West Side Story. No, not not exactly. Oh. It, that was La La Land was last episode, Mr. Griffin. Was, we kind of changed the movies oh, oh. each West episode. West Side Story and Mary Poppins. No. Uh, oh. No. Sorry. Uh, wrong again. I'll, I'll just say, um, our classic film today is Vertigo. Oh, okay. And our... Uh, more modern movie, our more newer movie is 500 Days of Summer. Oh, I just watched that for the first time. Yeah? How would you? Oh, well, I'll ask questions. We'll ask some questions later. But first, I wanted to ask you just like a quick icebreaker for this episode. Since both our movies are kind of love movies, kind of, what's your favorite love movie? Or like rom-com or like... Yeah, well... Um... Love movies aren't really my jam. What? Really? Yeah, I don't watch many love movies. And honestly, I don't think there have been very many love movies that have come out recently. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? They've been well, mostly superhero movies. Right, yeah. And, and horror. Movie. A lot of horror movies, too, for horror. some reason. So, um, yeah, love movies. I don't watch a lot of them, but I would have to say that there is one that stands out in my mind as being one truly excellent and that I think would make a pretty good classic film maybe to be reviewed on the show in the future mm. someday right. not today of course yeah. but um i i would say my favorite uh romantic movie is when harry met sally nice really good billy crystal meg yep. ryan film from yep. the 80s very sharp dialogue i think it's kind of like vertigo and 500 days in summer 500 days of summer in that um it kind of takes some twists and turns that you don't expect. It's not a typical mm-hmm. love story. But it is It is a comedy, which yeah. neither of these movies that we're reviewing today are comedies. So <laughs> it's kind of a fun one to watch with other people. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, that's awesome. My favorite uh, love movie is also an 80s movie, and that's Dirty Dancing. Yeah! You know, if I, if I could, like, learn one skill overnight, it would be to dance. Because I am not... I cannot dance. <laughs> well, I was always jealous of Patrick Swayze's hair. Yeah. Oh it's gosh. an amazing yeah. haircut in that film. So you yeah. should all Google that. <laughs> Patrick Swayze hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From how Dirty to, Dancing. From Dirty how dancing. to Patrick Swayze hair. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I think we can just jump right into our movie discussions. Good. So how about we start with Vertigo? This one is a classic. Yes. Named oh. one of... Or the best movie in of all time by American Film Institute. Yeah, AFI yeah. recently bumped it past Citizen Kane as the Citizen number Kane. one film of all time. Yeah, that's really cool. Which is cool. And you know, when I I like Alfred Hitchcock, he's the director mm-hmm. of this movie, yes. and um, I like a lot of his movies. But I would never put Vertigo at the top of my favorites list. Hmm. And I think that other people too. When I ask them what their favorite Hitchcock movie is, I hear psycho i hear rear window those kind of movies but i never hear anyone say vertigo so it right. is surprising to me that this is the number one film not just of hitchcock but of all time and yeah, yeah it's kind of an interesting thought to wonder how it got to be have this have this place of reverence when no one really seems to put it at the top of their lists yeah it's interesting yeah um I'm interested to hear like what you liked about it, though. Okay. Yeah, Vertigo is, is a great film. And I mm-hmm. think one reason why um, it is 
considered and regarded so highly is because it, it has a lot of firsts in it. Mm. And, and that's right. what I like about it. I remember as a kid watching this movie and thinking that it was kind of dorky and was really slow and really boring. But I know you, you talk about new historicism a lot on this podcast. And right. I think when you view it in light of other films that were coming out of the, at the time. And now, this was in the late 1950s, right? Yes. What, 1958? Yeah, when it came out. So Hitchcock does all kinds of things in here that are... One of a kind. Like, this mm. this movie is credited as having the very first ever computer-generated graphics. Yes. And those you can see in the opening, like, title sequence. Yeah. Also, there's a dream sequence in yes. which there's... Scotty. Sc- yeah, when Scotty, you know, he has this traumatic thing happen halfway through the film, and then he yeah. falls asleep, and all this weird stuff happens to him in this dream. Mm. So that was interesting. Another interesting thing is that this is credited as having the first dolly zoom ever that's when you mm. pull a camera back but then you're um, pushing the lens like you're zooming in really hard on the lens so whatever's in in focus in the front of the camera stays in focus but but the background looks like it's kind of falling away really fast do you know what i'm talking about yes, in this I film do, yeah Right. I tried doing those shots. It's really hard. They are really hard. You have to be kind of a master filmographer to be able to capture something like this. Yeah. So I think just those two things alone are really worthy of a lot of attention. And then, of course, the score is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Stewart is the lead actor in this, and he is, gives a phenomenal performance. Yeah. Uh, um, the story takes some twists and turns that I have not seen in any other films <laughs> ever, you know? So it really stands alone on a lot of, you know, kind of interesting points. Right. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of what makes it a classic, and that's why I really appreciate it for, for what it is. Is it my favorite movie? No, but, but I, do, I do really like it a lot. How about you? Where do you stand on this film? I love this film. Um, I agree with all your reasons as well. And another thing I thought of was the colors. Like, Ooh, I thought yeah. this movie was so, like, creative in it, the way they, or Hitchcock was really creative in the way he used the elements of colors in his films so like for example when scotty first sees madeline yeah where is that do you remember where oh the dinner place Uh uh-huh at that restaurant restaurant restaurant. it's called yes so that scene where the walls are all red and then when he first sees her like she's right next to him and then it's like the background like becomes more red or it illuminates more and then and then the iconic green neon <laughs> scene mm-hmm. in the room with the curtains and her silhouette. Oh, it's okay. Like People it, know what I'm talking about, it's, right? <laughs> it's awesome. It is fantastic, yeah. that sequence. Yeah. And, and speaking of La La Land, that scene with the green, um, it influenced that one scene in La La Land with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Oh, They're that's right. Dinner. Yeah, they had, like, Damien Chazelle, the director, literally had that same neon green curtain in front of their uh, dining table while they were That's talking. That's right. It's p- kind so, of paying homage to yeah. Vertigo and so La La Land. All right. So that kind of leads into like, there are a lot of movies out there who reference or like what you said, pay homage to the movie Vertigo. And I thought that was, I think that's really interesting how um, right. we are talking about how Vertigo is named the greatest movie of all time. And after all these years, movie directors still look back to this movie as um, inspiration. And I think, yeah, this movie really paved the way for all for filmmaking. Absolutely. Right? And there are yeah. still shots in Vertigo that are so complicated to pull off mm-hmm. that some directors are still kind of wondering how they did that. Like, there's there's a moment um, when um, Scotty and, is it Judy? Is she's the, the girlfriend? Yes. Where they kind of come together in this embrace in her apartment. And you see them embracing in that green environment. But mm-hmm. then the camera rotates around them, and all of a sudden they're... The environment changes. The, the environment completely changes, and they're in a horse barn, which is kind of the <laughs> place... And it sounds kind of weird to say that, but it's the kind of the first place where they kind of fall in love, mm-hmm. I think. I would argue that that's their first moment. And so they're kind of thinking back to this kind of long-range... Um, 
romance that was started back when Judy was a different character, even in the <laughs> film. Oh, I'm spoiling. Can can we spoil? Oh this? yeah, I forgot to say <laughs> this. Yeah, um, our show, all the episodes. It's there's. A spoiler Spoilers. Alert. I mean, this came out in 1958. Right. Please go so, see the film if you haven't seen it yet. Yes. Okay. It is worth the watch. Definitely. Yeah, this Vertigo is mm. wonderful. And, and it's a great one to watch again and again because you'll learn new things and you'll see more things every time you see it. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, what I understand was uh, this movie, actually, though it's named like the greatest movie of all time and so many directors, like, for example, Martin Scorsese and... You know, Christopher Nolan and David Fincher, they're like like marveling over this movie and so many other filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers, are like saying that this movie just has so many amazing things and people are trying to like pay homage to it and copy it. But I from what I understand, like during that time, nineteen fifty eight, during that time the audience there were some mixed reviews. Like not a lot right. of people saw it as like that great of a movie. Or yeah, yeah I thought that was really interesting how Right now, like, people are talking about Vertigo and how, yeah, it's, a, like, the greatest movie all, of all time. And yet, back then, it was just, you know, just another. Yeah, outfit. it was kind of Hitchcock. considered a flop at the time. And it really mm-hmm. struggled to make back the money in box office sales. Right, of, yeah. Of the budget of the film. And so Hitchcock got really mad. Um, he, it was interesting because he blamed Jimmy Stewart for being too old. Being too old. <laughs> uh, so if, if that was your complaint, why did you put him in that role in the first place? Right. But yeah. it did seem odd that at that time, Jimmy Stewart had a 25-year age difference between him and Kim Novak, who's playing his kind of romantic counterpart. Mm-hmm. And so that would have been a little bit odd and off-putting. Um, to people at the time and kind of awkward I think Um, (laughs) there's also some kind of violent scenes that I think I mean now we wouldn't consider them violent but people falling to their deaths from high places and I think that was a bit troubling to the audience they didn't probably appreciate that as we um, like kind of more action these days that that was not something that an audience was looking for so mm-hmm. this film actually was the end of the working relationship between Jimmy Stewart and Hitchcock for the rest of their lives they never wow. really wanted yeah. to interact with each other again um, because just because Vertigo kind of flopped and failed on them as they thought at that time so yeah it was kind of too bad because those two worked together on Rear Window and Rope and um, some other projects, and that was that was just the end of that relationship. Yeah, so we we talked about all these reasons, like uh, the dolly zoom, and like all these other innovations and groundbreaking things that Hitchcock did. But are there any other uh, elements or things that m- make this movie so great? Like, what makes a movie so great, and why are people still talking about these are just questions i have like why right. are people still talking about vertigo as like well, a great movie obviously even it's like a classic and it's a classic movie old. doesn't have to do well in the time in which it you know right, hits yeah. theaters because vertigo beat that you know i mean of course star wars was amazing when it came out and it's amazing now and it's a mm-hmm. classic and it's withstood the, the test of time and was popular when it came out but vertigo is the complete opposite in that regard and yet mm-hmm. it's still is is a classic and the number one movie classic too like it stands alone on the top of the mountain so yeah this is a really good question i think this podcast can wrestle with is what makes a classic movie classic yeah exactly you know how how old does a movie have to be in order for it to be considered a classic even (laughs) yeah you know what does it have to bring to the table or or be unique about it that is worthy of discussion you know is it maybe it's just the fact that it got got to some things first Mm-hmm. And that makes it, you know, truly unique and, and a classic that way. Because the first dolly zoom, the first, I don't know, <laughs> use of a score in this way, or, or really thinking about color and synthesizing um, emotion and, and giving clues as to the, the direction of the film based on color. And yeah, it's kind of fun to think about, isn't it? Yeah. That it's really something special. Yeah. And one thing one interesting thing about vertigo the movie is it was during this time period where um, movies were starting to not be so focused or movies were starting to really pay attention to 
the director, and not so much as like these, you know, back then like all these studios, Universal Pictures or Universal yeah, Studios, Paramount, Paramount, all those guys, yeah, all those studios just like MGM, like script after script after script, movie after movie after movie, and um, it was very studio based, and a lot of the actors un- were under those studios, and like a lot of the movies, for example, like. Uh, Casablanca and other movies a lot of the movies kind of didn't have that many like um, not creative but um, a lot of the shots and cinematography it was pretty simple pretty static and the main thing was just the characters and the dialogue there was a real like just emphasis and focus on just the story and the dialogue and all that and cinematography, the cinematographers and directors didn't really kind of push, try to push the boundaries as much as Alfred Hitchcock did in 1958 with Vertigo. So I think Vertigo is really interesting in which it was one of those movies that during that time period, it was one of those movies that was a kind of a breakthrough in a way. And it, it was part of that transition from a classical age of movie and transitioning to the American new wave cinema, where the directors had way more creative control and way more freedom to right. kind of test out with cinematography. And like, like, for example, with Alfred Hitchcock with Vertigo, he was able to like do all these things um, because this new, this new wave of cinema really uh, did focus on like telling a story through the camera and cinematography like you don't really have to have characters just talking to each other you can (laughs) use the camera as a storytelling element I think that's one thing during the time like 50s or 60s I think that's one one thing that uh movie makers all these filmmakers really started to um test out and experiment with so that's I think that's an interesting point, Carmen, and probably right. something to consider as you look at what makes a film classic mm-hmm. in that it changes film at its time. It kind of becomes um, a guidepost stuck in the road and the journey of filmmaking that right, points yeah. people in a new direction, tries something new, and that's probably why it's controversial at the time and people don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But it's if different. It, yeah, it's different, but it, it changes how everything is done after that, you know? It, right, it exactly. literally puts a different Change flavor history. in the audience's mouth, and they, they start to hunger for a different kind of film after this. Yep. So it'd be interesting to see if your classic movies that you continue to study throughout your podcast have those <laughs> same tendencies to kind of change the conversation yeah. about what film is and how to tell a better story and how to use more elements of the filmmaking process to creatively tell a story. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, let's. I can't wait to hear more episodes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think, yeah, Vertigo, amazing movie, great movie. Why don't we move on to our modern movie for this episode, which is 500 Days of Summer. Yes. This was released, this movie was released in 2009. The director is... Mark Webb, who, fun fact, is also the director of the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and uh, also the movie, another one of my favorite movies, Gifted. I don't know if you know. No, I don't know that film. Chris Evans, and uh, back in 2017, it's a really good movie. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. I I have not heard of that one. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt is uh, the lead here, and Zoe Deschanel. Yes. How do you say her last name? Deschanel. I think you nailed it. Deschanel. Deschanel. Yeah. Sounds right. <laughs> now, Zoe Deschanel Sorry. seems to be the kind of actress that was really popular in the early 2000s, yes. but has kind of disappeared. Hmm. Yeah. Don't you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah. But Joseph Gordon Levitt, he's been making movies for 10, 15 years, and yeah. he's still around and is still relevant yes. for sure. Yeah. And I think this was during the time, uh, I'm not sure exactly, but um, Zoe had her show New Girl, and it was very mm, popular, right. very famous um, series. So, yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, yeah. He was, he's been acting since he was pretty young, actually. Yeah, kid, like, yeah. Yeah. His, his really movie young. credits go way, way back. Mm, right, yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, and these two actually, I've heard, like, these two are actually childhood friends. Like, they grew oh, up Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know that. <laughs> and so to have this movie, I think that's one thing that helped with the... <laughs> and I think with this movie, that helped with the chemistry. Like, they're really good friends. And, yeah, so this is a love movie. And what I loved about it, and I'll ask you what you liked about it or disliked about it you know sure sure <laughs> what I liked about it was how just how different it was than your regular rom-com because then during mm -hmm. this time there were quite a few rom-coms and a lot of it kind of a lot of them kind of ended the same way where it's like like oh these this these this dorky pair of, me, of a man and a woman they meet and at first they hate each other and then they like fall in love and get together in the end it's kind of like a cookie cutter kind of rom-com right, yeah. genre and, and the rom-com genre I find that quite often the guy is a doofus and the girl <laughs> is this like hard to get yeah beautiful unattainable smart awesome person and the whole movie is about how this doofus guy <laughs> almost tricks her into liking him you know right and, and then they end up together and yeah. happily ever after now if 500 days of summer came along it kind of broke that cookie cutter I feel yeah like. and I like that too yeah because spoiler alert um <laughs> they don't get together in the end so it's really interesting how like I saw the this uh the movie poster on five on 500 days of summer it says this is this is not a love story it's a story about love so, right and the narrator yeah. at the beginning of the film says this is a story of boy meets girl <laughs> but it's not a, a love, love story. story no right. yeah and so I thought that was super interesting and how 500 Days of Summer is just kind of the director or the screenplay writer or this, this movie is kind of an unconventional take on what love is. And like, you know how a lot of, the move, a lot of love movies talks about, oh, the one for you, like, oh, right. finding the one. Yeah, and yeah. It's just like My the, one true love. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, the first person where... You know that scene uh, where, uh, uh, what's his name? Tom. Tom. Where Tom meets Summer in the elevator and he's listening to music, like the Smiths, I think. And she's like, oh, I like the Smiths. And then, he's, and then he goes back to his sister, little, little uh, hey, um, yeah, yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, like, oh, he, she likes the same music as me. We're, we're meant to be together. She's like, blah, blah, blah. And starts like gushing over how she's the one. And then her, his sister was like, just because some girl likes likes the same music as you doesn't mean you're going to end up together. So that's right. kind of like a little tidbit, like, oh, this is what Tom needs to learn and work on. He's like this hopeless romantic. It was almost the theme for the whole movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, which we will talk about later. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to ask, like, what, what else, did, or what did you like about it, or... Well, um, 500 Days of Summer, honestly, and full disclosure, I've only seen this movie once. And I, it was because I was going to be on this podcast. But I rewound. Whereas for me, I forgot to say, whereas for me, I watched it like three, four times. <laughs> I've rewound it many times to rewatch some parts. So I, I feel like it's in my head really well. And uh, But it doesn't have that deep soul staying power that vertigo yeah. has. Like, I, I just no, haven't had yeah. it, the same amount of time with it to let it sit in my head. Yeah. Um, this movie was interesting. I do like the title of the film. I thought that was great. Get I liked how it was... Get it? Because her name's Summer. And, yeah, her name was Summer. So it's kind of this puzzle, you know, 500 days of summer. Well, summer is only, you know, what, less than 100 days long in any year. So how can you have 500 days of that? Like, is it sci-fi? What's going on? So I thought that Whoa, was... I just realized that's, like, more than a year. Uh, yeah, like a year and a half. <laughs> oh, whoops. So I thought that was very uh, clever. It kind of hooks you before you even get into the theater, like a good question. Well, what does this mean, right? Yeah. Um, it was a nonlinear story, which I yes. found kind of hard to follow at the beginning. Uh, you know, when I was watching this, I had kids around asking me questions, and it was very interrupted. So sometimes I kind of forgot where I was in the range of 500 days as it was jumping back and forth between time mm -hmm. um, time spans there. And um, so that, that was an interesting storytelling device, but it was confusing, too, at times. Um, 
this character is, or uh, sorry, this film seems very pigeonholed in the time in which it came out. There were tons of links to the um, technology at the time. Uh, like there's a, he, he walks around with an iPod Classic, which <laughs> no one would have anymore. You know, it's too old. They're playing what Nintendo Wii at yes. one point. He and his sister. The tennis. Yeah, somebody walks by with a butterfly ankle tattoo, and I was like, oh, that's so 2000s. Um, Everyone's using flip phones. Yep. These old PC monitors. Yeah, it definitely feels 2009, even with the songs that they picked to put into the soundtrack. We're we're very current at the time, but there are artists that really haven't done a lot since then, right? So when I heard that, I was like, oh, Temper Trap. Oh, I like that song. That's great. Or, oh, Regina Spector. That's so good. Mm-hmm. But then I go, yeah, I just feel like this is a movie from 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> which, which it was. Yeah. And I think that's really cool, like, talking about new historicism. I think that's cool how, like, this movie um, is a great, like, little window. Time capsule. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little window people can look through and say, oh, so that's what life was like back in right. back in the old days of 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shaggy haircuts, baggy, baggier the clothes. Bangs. Yeah, bangs. Bangs were pretty in. No, not so much. Um, yeah, and... Um, a couple more thoughts on this on this film, though. Um, some things that I found confusing. I, right. I don't know if I dislike them, but it's not something where I look at, at these things and go, wow, that was a great idea. <laughs> I, I feel like they're inconsistent, and that might hurt the story a little bit. One of them was the use of a narrator. Okay. Um, the narrator is this... Um, this man with a very deep and very interesting voice. I've heard him narrate other things. I'm not exactly sure who he was, um, but he's not a character that ever shows up in the story. And so there's no reason, I think, to have this narrator ever speak. A, a lot of the filmmakers that I've talked to or books that I've read say that if try to avoid using narrators as much as possible because it's just lazy storytelling. Mm. You should be able to tell a story with the characters in the film. And, and usually the best storytelling is by actions, right? Show, don't, don't tell. tell. And narrators are kind of the laziest way of getting you kind of up to speed on what's going on. And some movies, you just have to have that. And I get that. Or sometimes the narrator turns out to be a character that reveals themselves later in the film. And it's a kind of a cool twist on, on the story. But this film had a narrator for no apparent reason. He only spoke maybe four times and it just didn't seem necessary. So that was something I was kind of scratching my head on. Another thing that this film likes to do is it likes to split that widescreen into two small side-by-side square screens. And when the film starts on their opening credit sequence, it was really cool because on one side they were showing Tom's character as a little boy kind of growing up doing little boy things. And on the right was um, Summer's, how come we can never remember <laughs> Summer's name, and her name is in the title. We show, we see Summer, same thing, kind of, it's supposed to look like old, like, 1950s footage, you know, that's kind of black and white, sepia-toned, and she's doing stuff, and there's little kids. And I was like, oh, that's great. So this is kind of a flashback technique for this film. Mm-hmm. But then, it's not used that way ever again, but they keep coming back to that split screen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, later on in the movie, maybe 80% of the film through, they, do, they use it again. And it's, again, really interesting. They, they show one that one side is um, what he expects will happen. And then on the other side is what the reality is yeah. in his situation as he goes back to visit her at a house party. Uh-huh. And so it was this really cool kind of thing of seeing this back and forth. But they do that two or three times in the film, and it just it's not the same every time. So uh-huh. it's, I just wonder, like, why... If, if you're going to use it for expectation versus reality, then don't don't do it at the beginning of the film in a different way. You know, it's such a unique thing in your film. Don't overuse it. And mm. I, that, to me, felt like an overuse. Um, let's see, what else? And that brings me to, yeah, like, there's some, there's some, like, quick... It almost feels like an intermission, you know, like, from right. this movie. Like, there's this one where he... He's falling asleep in the movie theater where there's a movie, a French movie, movie playing, and it's almost as if it's his dream. And but he's it's in not. the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, him and Summer are is in movie, and they're saying something like, 
I don't know, they're saying words. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah. And then also that one where then guys, the, a lot of the male characters then started talking right. to the camera about their own love now, story. That's right. But they use that same square aspect square, ratio, right. but they don't do a side by side. They just do it right in the middle of the screen. So it has these big black bars on the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for about 75% through the film, they cut to this, and it's like like a little montage of these guys for a few seconds talking about the relationships that they're in currently. So it hits both of his friends and then his boss at the, at the card greeting card company, and then it jumps to Tom, the main character, who just looks blankly at the screen and then looks away as if he'd been asked about his relationship and he just doesn't have anything to say. He's so, so I thought... Mad. And he's mad, and he's supposedly, you know, showing his emotions at that moment. So I just thought that that was odd. Now, another movie that does that effect really well is When Harry Met Sally. They have Uh these little interludes in that film. I think there are six of them. And it's funny because there are these, in every single one, it's this old, crusty couple that have been together (laughs) for a long time. And they give, like, a 20-second explanation of how they met like way back, you know, decades before. And so every story is hilarious in the way that they tell it in this very earnest way. You know, they're, not, they're not trying to be funny, but they just kind of talk like old people. Uh-huh. And uh, it's really cute. And um, the whole point of doing those little interludes is to show how these people with this long-standing relationship are completely different than Harry and Sally in the film, whose relationship is a total mess and they are not connecting at all. Mm. So... Um, Not to give too much away about that film. Everyone needs to go see it. It's great. Um, But I feel like 500 Days of Summer, like, almost tried to copy that idea, but it just kind of wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, there's no structure. Yeah. Well, personally, um, I'll have to agree with you. Like, yeah, there wasn't that much structure kind of all over the place. Like, you do have to, like, as a director, you do... Not um, required or you should, but it'd be ideal if you have some kind of structure with the different elements that you use. Like, for example, what you said, the split screen stuff and the Mm. narrator. But I'll have to disagree. Like, I kind of liked it. Like, I liked all those. This, it wasn't, it was a bit messy, but I really liked how it kind of tells the viewers and it kind of shows the audience that, yeah, this is not a a linear cookie cutter ish movie and in fact this movie even though it there's this narrator and it seems like a objective like third person film this movie is actually told from Tom's perspective that's true like this movie is blatantly telling you like this this like this is Tom's perspective of the story of his story with Summer and we see that through you know the ex uh, an obvious example, expectation versus reality. Um, that was, you know, Tom's expectations and Tom's reality. And throughout the whole movie, we don't really get much of Summer's story, side of the story. We don't get much from Summer and her perspective of their relationship. It's all just kind of Tom. Like, it's all just kind of like... Yeah. The, and I think that's why there's a narrator. Like, I think... Because in his eyes, in his eyes, his life and his relationship with Summer, it's like this kind of, especially in the beginning, it's kind of like this fairy tale where he's the, he is the protagonist and the knight in shining armor. And sometimes with the usage of a narrator, it kind of feels like that, like a fairy tale story. Like, like this is a story of boy meets girl, blah, blah, blah. And then kind of the narrator kind of narrating about Tom and... Like, for example, there's this one thing that I, th- I think is pretty interesting, and it kind of plays into the film as a whole, like its theme, um, where Summer is sharing something really deep and intimate to Tom, but then the audience, we don't hear any of it because there's this, like, music and the narrator saying, like, talking about Tom listening to Summer. But Tom's That's looking right. directly at Summer, and... It just seems like he doesn't really. That kind of shows, um, regard, um, leading back to uh, this film being in Tom's perspective, it kind of shows that he doesn't really care what Summer's talking about. It's the mm-hmm. fact that the only line we hear that the audience hears throughout that whole scene is when Summer at the end tells Tom, 
I've never told anybody that before. So that kind of shows that Tom's like this, uh, he's, a, he's a bit selfish. Like right. he's, he's a bit arrogant. Um, he, the only thing he got away from that is that, wow, I'm special. Like she hasn't told anybody that before. Like that's the, and throughout that whole time that she's sharing, there's the narrator, there's the music. And so that kind of shows that this overall theme of both Vertigo and 500 Days of Summer where the characters, they kind of are kind of blinded by love and are obsessing over their uh, significant other whilst um, setting all these expectations and standards for the other person and not really considering how they feel. Right. Like with Scotty, like trying to change Madeline or Judy. Or try, trying to change Judy, Judy into Madeline. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the plot is confusing. <laughs> Anyways, like Scotty trying to change her. And also Tom, Tom also trying to change Summer. Like at the very beginning of their relationship, Summer makes it clear that she doesn't want anything serious. And Tom's like, oh, okay. But then towards the end of their relationship, or like he's like, I think we're a couple. And so it's kind of like, he's kind of like this uh, male protagonist where Summer is just this uh, conquest or this that this mountain that he's trying to climb and conquer and that's to me watching it I was I was like oh this is just this is yeah I don't like Tom because <laughs> it's really interesting you talked about how with Vertigo each time you watch it it's something different Right. Like, you could watch it over and over again, and it's still new, or there's something different. The first time I watched 500 Days of Summer, it was interesting because I took Tom's side. Like, oh, yeah, yeah right. Summer, oh, it's just a horrible person, blah, blah, blah. But then the second and third time, I was like, what? Tom, you're a horrible person. You're a jerk, blah, blah, blah. Like, Summer has feelings, too, and you can't just, like, say all this and do all this. Yeah. It's really interesting. And so going back to, like... Yeah, that whole structure and narrator and stuff. I think I don't have that much of a problem with it because it just it's part of that storytelling element where it's just from Tom's perspective, his flawed perspective of Summer and his relationships and, yeah, the way he's, he views love. But, yeah. Yeah. Both... Can we talk about both main characters? Are we to the comparison part of this podcast We're now? We're going to move on to, yeah, the comparison. Good, because we need to talk about Scotty and Tom. Yes. A little bit. Let's, I think let's. <laughs> both of these characters are ultimately sort of unlikable. Right. You know? Yeah. If you think about Scotty in Vertigo, he is, has what we would call a negative character arc. Yes. We get to see where he is at the beginning, a retired... Um, uh, officer, police officer who just witnessed this terrible death of a, of a fellow police officer off the top of a roof, which is what triggers his vertigo, you know. Mm. Um, Ooh, I get it. Yeah, his vertigo. And here he is um, just trying to deal with retired life, but then he gets pulled into following um, the wife of one of his other friends. It's kind of this side job, and everything kind of goes south from there. And at the mm. end, he's a, an emotional and mental wreck, and it, he's just right. in a bad place. Yeah. Then in Tom's case, this is this is confusing to me because I see Tom. I'm I'm not really sure what his character arc is here. Yeah, me. I, I me find neither. that I find that confusing, and I think films have to really define what's going on with their main character as far as did they improve, did mm-hmm. they stay the same, or did they get worse. And this one leaves me hanging there. And that's another thing that I wished had been kind of cleaned up about this mm-hmm. film. It would help me like it more. And I, I don't care if it's an, uh, an improvement, a positive character arc or negative, but it's just a mystery. Mm-hmm. So at the end of 500 Days of Summer, Tom is kind of dumped and he, by, by Summer and he's all bummed out. But we don't know if he's actually... She marries someone else. She marries somebody else, yeah. And he's devastated by this, and he just feels terrible. And then they have this park bench scene where she's kind of explaining to him. And it's the big reveal, I think, of the film, is that yes. she was never as into him as he was into her. And it was kind of a one-sided infatuation, which, yes. you, you know, that's that light bulb moment for the audience. where are like, oh, now I see why she was acting so cold to him mm-hmm. in all of these times is because... 
he really wanted the relationship to work out, but she just wasn't there yet. And that's mm-hmm. fair. I think that's fair in a relationship um, yeah. Yeah. to be that way. So anyway, so if this were a positive story arc, then Tom would learn from his lesson and he'd mm. be a better person. Yes. But we don't know that because yeah, then he goes into a job interview and kind of the final sequence of shots is that as he's waiting for this interview, he runs into another girl who looks a lot like Zoe Deschanel's character, Summer. Mm-hmm. I think so, kind yeah. of brunette, kind of cute, mm-hmm. sitting there. And they strike up a conversation. He invites her to coffee. She agrees kind of reluctantly to go out to coffee. And then he goes in for his interview and the movie's over. So, But what's her name? Her name's Autumn. Autumn. Oh, but because she comes after summer. Yeah. Get it? But here's my here's my point. <laughs> yes. Did Tom learn his lesson? Yeah, I feel I like we need like more scenes after to show, you know, did he treat Autumn differently? Like is he a little bit more sensitive to her? Is he taking the relationship more slowly? Mm-hmm. Or is he just gonna stumble into the same problems again? We just don't know. And that to me is unsettling is that we kind of are left with this big question mark. I, I don't feel good about Tom. I don't like his character the, at the end of this. You're right. Like, the first time I was watching this all the way through, I was like, that's Summer. She's a real jerk. Why isn't she nicer to him? Come on. And then you get that reveal is that she's just not into him the same way. And then you go, oh, now I can see why she acted that way. But from Tom's view, he's kind of an unlikable character, just like mm-hmm. Scotty. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really have a character arc, I think. Yeah. He kind of flounders, especially at the end. And I think as an audience, we're supposed to be hopeful that he and Autumn are going to work out. But we're not given any indication as to whether or not that's true. And yeah. so that's kind of awkward to me. Yes, me too. Yeah. So that was kind of hard. Um, let me say that the titles of both films, if I could continue on the comparison route here. I think sure. both titles are awesome. Vertigo yes. really hints at a lot of, you know, being confused, being spun around, being kind of um, sick to your stomach. The more you see the depth of something, kind of the more difficult it is to take it all in. You know, there's some really cool aspects of the word vertigo and the way Hitchcock mm-hmm. uses it in the film. And then 500 Days of Summer, I thought that was really cute, the way that it poses that question before you even see the film as to what that what that means and how is this going to work out. So I thought mm-hmm. both titles were fantastic. Yeah. As far as music goes in both films, Vertigo, classic soundtrack, really gorgeous, but then 500 Days, borrowed songs from the time, which is mm-hmm. fine, but just it doesn't it's not a classic soundtrack, you know. Um, what did you think of the shots and the direction kind of overall comparing the two films? For both? Yeah. Um, we did talk about Vertigo and how those shots were just like very innovating and groundbreaking. And I thought, yeah, Alfred Hitchcock was very creative in that. And we talked about uh, 500 Days of Summer with like, they were also pretty innovating, like the split screen and yes. then diff- those little, kind of like little intermission things where, you know, people talking about love or whatever. <laughs> like, but in general, the shots weren't as, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Mind-boggling, or like, like nothing really strikes me as much, like shot-wise, except those, you know, little split-screen stuff. I thought that was really cute and creative. Kind of set the tone of the movie in a way. Yes. And so, yeah. Um, overall, I think like Vertigo kind of trumps for Five Hundred Days of Summer cinematography-wise. But yeah, that's my opinion because. You know, Vertigo is Vertigo. <laughs> Dolly Zoom and all that jazz. And Vertigo <laughs> takes such advantage of being in San Francisco. So many of their shots just yeah. expand the screen. The and buildings. it's almost like San Francisco is a character in the film. You know, mm. there's a, a sequence of shots down underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's just awesome. You just feel the power and the size of the bay and the bridge and how small the people are yes. there. Um, there's an old mission in which people are just flying out of windows um, north of, of San Francisco. And that has a real powerful emotion to it um where where they fall in love but also where some tragedies happen um the streets of san francisco kind of curve up and down and so there's some great driving shots as scotty is following madeline around you know it's Mm -hmm. just kind of this um slow car chase 
feel <laughs> like where are they going this cloak and dagger what's happening and then now there's fast and furious and now there's fast and furious <laughs> which blows that away of course <laughs> and you know anytime the camera moves in vertigo it's kind of clunky you can tell it's on a, this big dolly and it's kind of like yeah. lumbering along and the shots are kind of wobbly um which so today cool. in today's film industry would not, would not hold up at all. Nope. And so that was a little <laughs> off-putting when I watched it on my big screen TV. I really noticed that more. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, you, you have to kind of forgive that for, for the time mm-hmm. in which it was shot. So, okay, what's your, what's your opinion? Like, we've already stated that Vertigo is a classic. Obviously, mm-hmm. AFI's number one movie of all time, yes. But what do you think about 500 Days of Summer? Does it have the legs to be... A classic. Uh, I have to say no, but I think I think I've said this before. I'm not sure, but I think that yeah, this movie talked about the music. It talked about I don't know the hair. Yeah, <laughs> and the like tattoos, the, the technology. Yeah, and I think this would, is a cool movie that people can look back to to know more about like the early 2000s and stuff, and to also, um, I do think 500 Days of Summer would be remembered as a maybe not like a great movie like classic a great movie but uh, a just a good movie <laughs> to like watch with your friends or whatever because uh yeah just it was very um very different from the rom-com genre that it was like during that time yeah and yeah um, now, I, I find this uh, question kind of interesting. Now, you're yes. a hip high school student, a senior. Um. This movie, our, <laughs> our contemporary movie, is 10 years old. So it's yeah. not like it was just out in theaters. No, yeah. For you and your friends in high school, are they familiar with 500 Days of Summer? Have they heard of this movie? Not really. My friend Jasmine, um, she says she started it, like, she got 10 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> really? She said, bit, she said it was a bit slow. And, you know, and I think that's like, yeah, and that's, uh, I get it. Yeah, it is a bit slow. Um, And so uh, it's not like Vertigo where there's this big hook at the beginning, you know, uh, like hanging off the roof, the cock falls. I think think 500 Days of Summer's hook was them sitting by the park bench and Zoe, I mean, Summer, (laughs) Summer has her marriage ring on and Joseph I mean Tom (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sometimes I just look at movies and I only see the actors and yeah anyways Tom is in the soup and they're well they're not really holding hands just laying hands top of each other and just like it looks like oh they just got married or something or newlyweds but the narrator said it's not a love story blah 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 and you're kind of like what what and then it goes into you know the title sequence um so yeah i understand that maybe like i could you know encourage more people to watch it go watch 500 days of summer guys (laughs) and just yeah like i think yeah it's it's definitely different and it's not a movie for everybody but then again so is vertigo some people might not like vertigo yeah vertigos can be a hard film to get into yeah it at first it was for me because the plot was just so confusing. <laughs> it's a very, mm. very, well, not too that complicated, but a little bit. Like, the whole murdering the wife thing. Yeah, but then that kind of plays into, yeah, then suddenly he was becoming, like, obsessed with Madeline and falling in love with her and with meeting Judy, who was actually playing Madeline. Um, then it's, like, kind of that like not manipulation but like kind of love kind of blinding you and getting the way and like you trying to change the other person because of your own like selfish like expectations you set upon them yes that's the same with tom talked about it like tom with summer as well so yeah besides the plot i think it's okay like i remember martin scorsese talking about uh vertigo he said like he doesn't really care much about the plot like the plot is not really you know that important but one thing I liked about what he said was the plot is just a line like a clothing line or something and the things that you hang up on that line so for example 
those cinematography things, like the dolly zoom or the colors, like the things that Alfred Hitchcock um, hung up on that line became these aspects of cinema poetry. So oh, I really like that. Very nice. I really like that quote because, yeah. Whereas for me, I think 500 Days of Summer, if we're comparing the two, like kind of contrastingly, uh, kind of did focus a lot on the story more. Hmm. Would you agree or? Yeah. Boy, I don't know. I, I feel like the story in Vertigo is just so spicy. There's so much going on. Great <laughs> reveals that just make your head spin. Some real shocking moments. Like Vertigo. Head spins. Yeah, your head is spinning. Whoa! <laughs> Another interesting fact about Vertigo that I, I've been thinking about is that it's a, one of the odd films in which the bad guy who turns out to be Scotty's friend who hires him to follow his wife, he kind of turns out to be the bad guy because he's the big murderer in the scene. Mm-hmm. He's never yeah. caught or apprehended. Yes. Nothing ever happens to him. Yeah. But in most films, the whole film is all about getting the bad guy. Yeah. But not this one. This is kind of more of the descent into madness of our main character, which is mm-hmm. you know really too bad because we, we do like Scotty. <laughs> And we never said anything about Midge, his girlfriend. Oh, Midge. Poor Midge. Poor Midge. Justice for Midge. <laughs> <laughs> she, you deserve better, girl. Yeah, get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> what are you still doing there? <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for her throughout the whole movie. Oh, poor run. Midge. <laughs> Just run. <laughs> well, this has been a great conversation, Carmen. Thank yeah, you. It was. It was so much fun. Thanks. Thanks. For coming on the show, Mr. Griffin. Yeah, I loved it. This was great. Keep it up. Hurry yes. up and put out more episodes. Thank you. But yeah, that does it for episode two of Real Talk. If you have any suggestions for films that we can review and talk about, please be sure to contact me. And if you want to be a guest, you can also contact hey, me. Could I come back for another one? Yes, you oh, can. Good. All right. Guests can come on more than once. Yes. Yes. Okay, and so that does it for episode two. Have a nice day. See you in a couple weeks. And remember to keep keep it real. Oh, we got it. (laughs) Yes. First try. First try. There's my crowd cheering again.